Good afternoon. I hope everyone is doing well. We are uh, continuing to look at the Gospel of Luke. And as I was looking at the passage for this week, I kept thinking of the, the age old car trip question Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Any parent knows those, uh, those words which will drive you crazy? It's like, no, this is a 10 hour trip. And they're going to ask you, you know, every five minutes, are we there yet? And as the driver of the vehicle, you know the destination. You know about the time you're going to get to the destination. But when you are a passenger, it is not always that clear. So sometimes we need some follow-up questions like, are we there yet? How about now? Are we there now? It's like, no, we're not there. And I actually experienced this for myself a few weeks ago, uh, a group, uh, there's a guy at our church who runs an organization called Urban Hope, and he had invited our staff team to come to a retreat. So we were like, okay, great, we're excited about this, a bunch of other pastors, we're going to go to this retreat. So we got up early, we were going to drive, make sure we get there on time. It was the day a couple weeks ago of the Nor'eastern, it didn't really hit us very bad, but in New Jersey it did. So we got in the car early, we got on the road trying to be on time. We're driving through New Jersey. It's pouring down the snow. And I kind of think in the back seat, like, are we there yet? And we keep going. We get into the hills of Pennsylvania. And I think, like, my stomach starts to feel a little queasy. I'm getting a bit car sick. I roll down my window in the freezing cold. I didn't do that. That's, that's not a thing anymore. I roll down the window. I'm like, guys, I don't feel so good. And I'm thinking, like, are we there yet? We pull into the retreat parking lot, and there's about two cars there. And I'm like, uh, like what's going on? This might be a really small retreat. You know, let's, let's go check things out. And we, we're walking in, and the, somebody who works at the retreat center, I, I, I flag him down. I'm like, hey, point me, the way, point me to Urban Hope. And they're like, I have no idea what you're talking about. I'm like, these people need to inform their staff better about <laughs> events. So I keep walking around, and we realize very quickly, after we look at our phones, that actually we are at a Christian retreat center in Pennsylvania. We were supposed to go to the Christian retreat center in New Jersey. So we, you know, all the while in the back of my mind, I was like, are we there yet? And we're like, no, we're never going to get there. And in fact, where we ended up was not where we wanted to go. Actually, where we ended up was a Cracker Barrel in New Jersey eating biscuits in the pouring snow. Not where I expected to be. It wasn't bad. Don't get me wrong. But not where we wanted to go. Are we there yet? And in the life of faith, in our time of following Jesus, these are many of the same questions that we ask, right? We find ourselves in a destination different than the one we thought we should be at or the one we thought God would bring us to. We're like, God, why am I here? I thought I was going to be over there. God, like, I thought you were going to bring me this direction, but here I am in going that direction. God, like, are you going to come through for me or not? This trip is not going as planned, God. Why am I waiting on this good thing? I've been praying and praying and asking God, and this is a good thing, God. Why aren't you giving it to me? Like, why am I dealing with all this pain and suffering over this extended period of time, God? This is not the trip that I had in mind. Why aren't you dealing with it? And we actually get to a passage in the Gospel of Luke that addresses these questions. And it's going to show us that in the midst of 
the question, are we there yet? God, this is not going according to plan. God, we're not where I thought I should be by now. God is going to address these questions and show us what it looks like to have a patient faith. Because in these moments and the difficulties of life that we've all been through, I would imagine that everyone in the room knows exactly what I'm talking about. Those feelings with God. God, I don't think this is part of the plan. So how do we have a patient faith? So we're going to look at Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 40. Now when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him to come to his house, for he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. Okay, so here's the scene. We have Jairus, who is the leader of the synagogue. He's a big deal. He's a man with great authority. He's uh, an important man in the community. And here he is running up to Jesus prostrate. He is on the ground. Jesus, I am desperate. You can imagine he had tried lots of other things to make his daughter well, but now he is at the end of his rope. He is on the ground in front of Jesus, and he's crying out for help. And as Jesus went, the people pressed around him. He's on his way. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. Jesus said, who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, master, the crowd surround you and, you're, and, uh, surround you and are pressing in on you. Peter, ever confident, right? Peter, with the one without, the, the disciple without the, the best filter for when to speak and not to speak. Jesus is going through the crowd. He's on his way to heal this very important person's daughter. And Jesus stops and says, okay, um, who touched me? And Peter speaks up. He's like, um, Jesus, we are in the middle of a mob. Everyone is touching you. Like, that person touched you. That person, I don't know what that person, they're all touching you. And Jesus is like, no, no, no. Somebody touched me. And you can just imagine the disciples sitting back, like, oh, Jesus, we are in a hurry. Jesus, we got important places to be for important people, and it is urgent. Why are you delaying? We got places to be. Verse 46, but Jesus said, someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the man saw that she was not hidden, excuse me, <clears throat> and when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house came and said, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this, ans on hearing this answered him, do not fear, only believe and she will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and James and John, and the father and the mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And they all laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, child, arise. 
and her spirit returned and she got up at once. He, di- he directed that something should be given to her to eat and her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. So we have two different circumstances, two different scenarios, two different stories that get intertwined into one in the gospel. We have this woman who has been suffering for 12 years. She has been in a season of difficulty for 12 years. She finds healing in Jesus. Then you have Jairus, this important man who is desperate for Jesus to heal his daughter. Again, a very good thing. But Jesus forces him to wait, wait so long, it almost seems like Jesus' timing is way off. But Jesus makes him wait. So both are waiting, and both scenarios point us to what it looks like for us to have a patient faith, a patient faith, not one where You know, we expect everything right now when we want it. That is the world and the culture that we live in, but it's not the faith we see in the scriptures. What we see in the scriptures is that long obedience in the same direction. Man, this might be slow. We're going to need patience. There are going to be valleys. There are going to be mountaintops. There are going to be rough patches, and there are going to be seasons of great joy, but we're going to need patience to walk through them. So I want to point out three characteristics of a patient faith from this text. First, a patient faith turns to Jesus in trouble. A patient faith turns to Jesus in trouble. In the first healing, we have the the woman. Again, she had been suffering for 12 years with a physical problem, but the text makes it clear that there was more to the issue than just her physical problem. Her physical problem had created a financial problem. This is not uncommon to us today, right? You have a physical problem, you spend all of your resources trying to get well from that problem and you go broke and none of the doctors were able to fix the problem. So a physical problem led to a financial problem, then the physical problem led also to a social problem and a spiritual problem. Because she had this flow of blood, it made her ceremonially unclean which means she would have been ostracized from her faith community, from her people. She would have been cut off from the worship of the people of God. She would have been isolated and separated for 12 years. Can you imagine? We got a taste of it in the pandemic, didn't we? It's cut off. The pain of that, she did it for 12 years. And the text just wants us to see that. Like, yeah, it was a physical issue, but it was a financial issue. It was a social issue. It was a spiritual issue. And underneath it all, she was living with this baseline of shame. What is wrong with me? That's likely why she didn't want to come out. You know, other times in the gospel, we see people waving their arms and screaming, have mercy on me, Jesus. Look at Jesus. Look at me. Me. I'm coming in through the roof, Jesus. Mm-hmm. Not this woman. She had the shame. She's like, what if I can just like hang out on the side of the crowd, get just close enough just to reach up and I mean, just graze the edge of his, his garment. And you know, I, I don't want to make myself known. I don't want anyone to see me. I want the miracle and I want to get out. But Jesus had much more for her. He had so much more for her. 
but it was gonna cost her more than she wanted to give. So Jesus asked her to do something very difficult, but he does so with all the tenderness in the world. He says, hey, would you step out from your hiding? Would you make yourself known? Would you tell your story? Those are the things she did not want to do. And she does so. And Jesus says to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. I love the way Tim Keller says this. He said, if you go to Jesus, he may ask of you far more than you originally planned to give. But he can give you infinitely more than you dared ask or think. And that is what is happening with this woman at this moment. She wanted the to-go miracle. I'll take this miracle to go. Thank you very much. But God says, Jesus says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace, daughter. This is the only time Jesus uses this word in the Gospels. The only time. Daughter. This is a relational word. This is an intimate term. This is a term of endearment. Daughter. That's how he addresses her. No need to hide. You are accepted here. You are part of this family. You are not ostracized. You are in. Daughter. Your faith has made you well. This woman who nobody wanted is now adopted by the perfect father. The woman who no one would touch is now embraced by the strong and tender arms of God. And this is what happens to us. When we come to Christ, regardless if we have a strong faith, we have a weak faith. We maybe have a timid faith. The issue is not how strong our faith is. The issue is where do we go? with what faith we have. And she knew, I've tried everything else. I've tried the doctors. I went broke trying the doctors. I'm going to Jesus. The same is true for us. When we come to Christ, it doesn't matter if we have a timid faith. It doesn't matter if we have a weak faith. Those are not the issues. The issue is with what faith we have. Are we coming to Jesus? Where are we going in our moment of trouble? I love the way Charles Spurgeon says it. It is not the strength of your faith that saves you, but the strength of him upon whom you rely. You see, we we tend to think, ah, I wish I had more faith. I wish I had stronger faith. I wish my faith looked like that guy who's got a lot of faith. But in the gospels, what we see is it doesn't matter. It matters where you go with your faith because it's not your strength, it's his strength. Because if we went to Jesus, we're like, Jesus, look how strong my faith is. Look how devoted I am. Look how pious I am, Jesus. We would come and say, look how great I am. But when we come with Jesus with our weak faith, and we're like, all I got is like barely reaching out and grabbing the edge. That's all I got. And Jesus is like, your faith has made you well. You came to the right place. So the question this afternoon is, where do you turn in your moment of trouble? Where do you go in your moment of trouble? Your desperation. On the journey of faith, we all have these moments of pain. We get to the bottom of the pit, and we say, where are we going to go? How are we going to get out of this? The woman knew where to go. The second aspect of a patient faith that we see is a patient faith is transformed by Jesus's tenderness. How does Jesus treat those who wait for him? 
I love the way Elizabeth Elliot says it. He is very patient with us when we are trying to be patient with him. I relate to that so much. God, thanks for being so patient with me. When I am over here like twiddling my thumbs, like, God, when are you going to answer my prayer? God, when are we going to move on? God, when are you going to change this? God, when are you going to fix that? God, when are you going to give me this thing that I've been asking for? God, I need you to change my circumstance. God, when are you going to do a win, 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 win? And God is so patient with us. He's like, Logan, I see you're trying to be patient. I'm patient with you. And he meets us with tenderness. Tenderness. And I know that tenderness is not a virtue that we talk about in powerful people. Right? People who get stuff done, influential people, we typically don't say, oh, what a tender person. No, power and tenderness do not go together very often, but Jesus gives us a masterclass on power and tenderness in the same person. So we fast forward in this story. Jesus heals the woman. They, they come to him and say, don't bother. He says, no, no. Just believe. He winds up at, in the house of the little girl, and she's dead. All the mourners are surrounding her. Jesus is like, no, she's not dead. And they all start laughing at him. Like, Jesus, I know dead. I, 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 we've been crying in this room for hours. I know dead. She's dead. Verse 54. But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, child, arise. And her spirit returned. She got up at once and he directed that something should be given her to eat. So what does she need? She needs a resurrection and a snack. Isn't that incredible? But notice his tenderness in all of this. Jesus grabs her by the hand. Then he calls to her. And the word here in the Gospel of Luke is child, but in Mark's Gospel, we actually get more uh, specificity. The word in Greek is Talitha, literally, literally means little girl. It's more like a, a nickname that a mother would call a daughter, like honey, sweetheart. Jesus grabs her by the hand and says, honey, it's time to get up. Think about this. This is unbelievable. This is the God of the universe. The God of the universe. And he is staring right in the face of mankind's greatest enemy, death. And you're like, whoa, this is a moment. And he simply, calmly, takes the girl by the hand and says, little one, it's time to wake up. Just like you would, just like you would grab your son or daughter, wake them up from a nap. Power and tenderness. Have you ever seen that type of power and tenderness? And we look at this passage and we think, what do we see? Like, how can we learn to be patient like that? How can we learn to walk through our season of waiting? Well, a couple of things. First, in our waiting, Jesus is not content just to fix your circumstances. He's not content just to fix your problem and move on, which is most of the time what we want, right? Jesus, just fix my problem and I'll stop bugging you. I'll stop asking you to fix my problem and we'll all move on with our lives. 
No, he wants more for you than that. He wants a relationship. He wants to call you son. He wants to call you daughter. He doesn't want you just to get the miracle to go. He wants you to dine together. He wants intimacy and relationship. He wants to deal with the, what's maybe underneath the problem. Yeah, you got a physical problem, which you want God to change, but what about the shame? What if I could free you from the physical problem and I could deal with the shame and you'd be really free? What if he could do more for you than you hoped? What if while you were waiting on a circumstance change, a healing of body, Jesus was actually doing a deeper work? Secondly, we see that in our waiting, Jesus holds us by the hand and leads us through the darkness. And this is difficult because we wish the darkness didn't exist, right? We want Jesus to take us around the darkness around the pain, around the suffering. I would prefer just not to have it, answer my prayers immediately, we'll just move on. But Jesus actually takes us by the hand and he leads us through the darkness, even the worst darkness, death itself. Think about this. And this is, this is unbelievable. Think about this. One day, we will all face the darkness of death itself. But if we know Christ, that death leads to a resurrection where he will take us by our hand and he will say to us, little one, it's time to wake up. And he will lead us in a glorious resurrection and hopefully we get a snack. (laughs) Amen. You You see his tenderness. You see his power that's available to us in our waiting. Believe me, this is me recently. At this weekend, sitting in my room, God, why? I don't understand this, God. Why did you do that? I don't understand it. But I think in that moment, he wants more for us than to say, okay, I'll, I'll fix it, Logan. You move on. No, he's like, I want to know you as my, I want you to know me as son, me as father. Can we walk through this? I'm grabbing you by the hand. Let's go. Third, a patient faith Trust Jesus' timing. This is the part that we struggle with, the timing. So let's look closer, closer at Jairus, because if there was anyone who had reason to question Jesus' timing, it would have been Jairus, right? We had an urgent situation on our hands, very urgent. Life and death situation, Jesus, we are running for a healing right now, and you stop. You stopped, and you ran out of time, and my daughter died. Can you imagine how Jairus felt in that moment? The guy runs up and says, verse 49, your daughter is dead. Don't trouble the teacher anymore. So if there was anyone who would have thought, okay, Jesus, I thought you were something that you obviously aren't. Jesus, I thought you were going to come through for me, and you didn't. Jesus, you ran out of time. I thought you controlled time. I thought you were above time. But Jesus, I don't understand this. I am out. I am out, Jesus. No more. My heart can't take it anymore. Maybe you felt like that. A moment where you felt like God didn't come through for you on time. But look what Jesus says. He says, do not fear, just believe. In other words, 
Now is not the time to abandon your faith. Actually, in your waiting, now is the time to hold on. Jesus was able to see the end of the story. He knew he was going to heal Jairus' daughter. So he was able to look at this man and say, just trust me. Would you trust me? I know you can't see it, but I can see it and your daughter will be well. Just believe. Would you trust? Would you wait? I love the way a guy, a pastor named Jay Kim explains this type of patient faith. He says it's a lot like an intricate origami pattern. Anyone ever do origami? Yeah, me neither. Um, there is a very well-known famous origami artist by the name of Satoshi Kamiya. And his most famous piece of art, I can't pronounce, but it's this extremely intricate and difficult dragon. Show the dragon. Show me the dragon. Okay. Isn't that unbelievable? That is made without any cuts. It is one piece of paper folded into that. Just bending and twisting and folding over and over and over again. And sometimes origami artists actually reveal to you the pattern. They call it the crease pattern that led to that. Show the crease pattern. Show me the crease pattern. We don't have the crease pattern. Oh, okay. Can you imagine? Those were all the different twists and bends it took to make that beautiful dragon. But can you imagine if we were to just take one section of that and that was your life, right? Okay, God, the master artist, is making something beautiful and extraordinary, but you are in the middle of that mess. How does that feel? That does not feel good. God, why are you twisting me that way? I don't like that. Why are you bending me in that direction? We've bent that direction 550 times. Why do you keep doing that? I don't understand this at the moment. But sometimes we have to step back and just wait and trust and say, okay, I believe that God is the master artist and he's doing something beautiful with this thing that looks like a mess. It makes no sense to me at the moment. God, this looks like chaos. Could it be you're doing something beautiful? I don't know. In this moment with Jairus, Jesus looks at him and says, I see the finished product. I know it looks like a mess. I know it looks chaotic, but would you stay with me and just believe? And that's what our lives often feel and look like. You're like, man, We've the long, straight, bendy things, man. I've got all the bendy things in my life that I need. Can we move on to something different? I thought we were building a paper airplane. And Jesus, and Jesus is like, no, 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 we're building the dragon here. But can't we see the gospel so clearly in this passage? Look at verse 46. When he heals the first woman, he, Jesus says, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. Think about this. Jesus lost power so that she might gain strength. He lost something. He gave something, and she was healed. But there's more. The, we miss this when we read the text, but the first century audience would have picked up on something very clearly. Two things happen here. In the instance of the woman, 
For her to have touched Jesus would have made Jesus ceremonially unclean. She was ceremonially unclean because of her, her bleeding. He would have become unclean just by coming in contact with her. First century readers would have noticed that. And then he goes and does something else, a big no-no for, for the Jews in that day. He touches a corpse. He grabs her by the hand and pulls her up. He became ceremonially unclean twice in this passage. He took on the uncleanness, if you will, in order to give the healing. And this foreshadows for us what will come later in the cross. What happens in the cross is Jesus is going to take on our uncleanness, our impurity, our sin, the punishment for our sin. He's going to take all of that into himself. He bore my sin and my sorrow, the hymn writer says, and he made it his very own. That's what he's doing, and he's pointing us to the cross of what he'll do, where he takes all of our sin upon himself, and because he does so, he heals and he gives life, because he's taken it into himself. There's a very famous painting. It's commonly called Checkmate. It once hung in the Louvre in Paris. Here it is. Uh, As you can see, on the one side, we have Satan. And he is up against some despairing young man on the other side. And for years and years and years, it's hung in the Louvre. And kind of the point was, this young man was a goner. Checkmate, this story is over. He is done. He has lost. There is no hope. It's done. But several years ago, this this painting got moved out of the Louvre. And it was displayed somewhere else. And there was an international chess master who was walking around. And he saw the painting. And he said, huh checkmate. He said, hmm, that's not checkmate. And I was like, what? No, no, no. For like lots of years, like hundreds of years, this has been checkmate. He's like, no, it's not checkmate. He said, no, no, no. I could win in that position. That's not a done deal. The king has more moves to make. So he gets out a chessboard and he begins to rearrange the pieces and said, no, no, here's how you win this game. And it's such a beautiful metaphor because this is the situation that we are in. We are this young man. When all seems lost, we feel like it's checkmate. Game over. No getting up from this. You are finished. But Jesus sits in our place, and he wins the victory on our behalf. And that's the good news of the gospel. Jesus didn't just die for us. He died instead of us. He took our place. He said, yeah, your situation is dire, but I can win the victory for you, just like the international chess master. Oh, and this is the good news for us. The pain of waiting, the pain of unanswered prayers, the pain of seasons of suffering, as waves upon waves come on us, and we have to remember We do not go at this alone when we are at the bottom of the pit. There is one there with us. And he grabs us by the hand and he says, little one, arise. The game is not over. Let's pray together. Father, 
We give you thanks, we give you praise, we give you all of our worship and adoration. You have not left us, you have not abandoned us. In fact, in our darkest moments, you are with us. And maybe even right now, you're grabbing us by the hand and saying, little one, arise. Let's wake up, I have more for you. Would you trust in what I've done? Oh, Father, we pray that we would. You finished the work. We just want to trust and believe. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.